Hi yogis, today I want to share with you my thoughts and musings about the kleshas um, as described in the Yoga Sutras. The kleshas are often translated as the obstacles, the inner obstacles that we as human beings run into again and again. And it helps to name them, just like it helps to kind of pull something dark out of the closet and look at it and say, okay, that's there and I know this is what's, what's happening right now, and at least I'm not gonna be in the grips of it quite as much. So, what are they? Well, there are five, and the first one is avidya, and avidya is often translated as ignorance, and what is that ignorance? It's not ignorance in the sense of, you know, book knowledge, if you will, it's, it's deep, deep ignorance of our true nature of who we really are as human beings. What is our true nature? And we don't experience that anymore. Maybe you get a glimpse of it in deep meditation and, and you just have that little um, moment of realizing that we are all one, that we are each other, that we really are one spirit sort of split into many human experiences and from that perspective, it would be impossible to do anything but absolutely love each other with complete, unconditional, ever-forgiving love at all times. And that doesn't mean that we condone bad behavior sort of in the, in the physical world as we move through, but we recognize on a deep level the, the loving spark of divinity that is the same within each of us and that we, we really are each other. Now, even if you've had that experience um, through the power of grace in your meditations or some other way, you may not experience that on a day-to-day -day basis. And we certainly, most of us don't act out of that experience where we're ever forgiving and loving and, and sort of unconditionally accepting of one another. So the other kleshas are really born out of that ignorance of our true nature. And we can, um, we can study the principle of oneness and maybe we can even reference back to a, a, an experience, however brief, of that, of that oneness. Uh, but on a day-to-day -day basis, we feel like we're separate individuals and that brings us to the next klesha, which is asmita. And asmita is ego. It is that I feel like I am a separate sovereign self um, and that if I were to harm you in some way, it wouldn't harm me. Or if you were to harm me, it wouldn't harm you. Or what you take from me, you're not taking from yourself. So we, we act out of that place. And of course, in the slower vibration of the physical world, that is the experience. The experience is if I walk up to you and I slap you or steal your purse or something and I walk away, well, then you've been slapped and your purse is missing and, and, and I've you know had the pleasure of slapping you, say I took pleasure in that, and, and now I have an extra purse. And of course, in the larger um, true sense of what just happened, I stole from myself and I slapped myself and your pain is my pain. And that is impossible to understand from this ego perspective that we live in most of the time. So if we don't practice meditation 
it's virtually impossible to rise above that, um, that experience uh, of being a separate individual. Now, when we do practice meditation, we might still have a very strong sense of, of self, and there's nothing wrong with that. We operate from that sense of self with our power and will for good in the world, hopefully. Um, but we have also strong empathy because we still are tuned in enough to the vibration of truth that if you're really sad, there's some vibration within me that picks up on that. And, and, and I can't ignore that. It, it may or may not be my place to step in and do anything about it depending on the situation, but there is that feeling of being very deeply in tune with everything at all times. Now, how do we know that we are in Ashmita, that we're really deeply entrenched in our egoic experience of the world? I like to say that when you think you're better than someone or when you think you're worse than someone, then you're judging from the perspective of the ego because the ego tends to compare and, and someone always has to come out on top. Um, so if you, you know, even in a yoga practice, if you're next to someone and you're like, oh, I'm not as good as she is or he is, Mm, or, yeah, yeah, I'm better, then just know. I mean, if, if some little part of you can just almost chuckle and be like, okay, there's my ego. I'm experiencing the situation through the eyes of my ego, if you will. At least you can start to detach a little bit from that experience, treat it like a child and be like, well, no, you're actually neither better nor worse. This is, this is just another version of you practicing at, at their level, you know, doing their practice to get closer to liberation, just like you are. And in, from that perspective of not identifying so strongly with the ego, with Ashmita, you have great empathy for wherever people are at and their struggles. And you start to, mm, it, it's not so much that you excuse bad behavior, but you start to have some empathy for where that might come from from the pain out of which that person is acting if they're doing something, you know, like slapping you or stealing your purse. Um, that there's probably a story there of something that went, you know, terribly wrong. And that doesn't mean that you don't want your purse back and that you, you know, defend yourself from being slapped. So the, the next klesha, so now we have Avidya and Ashmita, the next klesha is Raga. And Raga is attachment. And this is a big one. We get really attached to stuff in the world, to other people in the world. And, and again, it's born out of avidya because we are not truly separate from anybody ever. But if we have on the earthly plane uh, a, a physical, emotional attachment to another human being and that other human being is, is not there for us in some way or is away, there can be a strong longing that can be devastating in some cases. If someone we love passes away, leaves their physical body, we're not at a, a, a level of evolution where we can simply perceive, oh, that person has now transformed and has shed this physical vessel and is now alive in this other dimension and we can connect with them still we, we're very much in our physical experience of wanting the physical connection of being held or being able to hug someone 
Um, so we just need to know that in that moment of attachment, and that can also be attachment to stuff, attachment to money, of wanting more, of wanting something externally to satisfy us, that when we are in that place of wanting or not wanting to let something go, that that's also a klesha. It's an obstacle. So if you have a lot of stuff, if you have a tendency to hoard, which I would say a lot of Americans do. When I moved here from Denmark in 1988, um, the amount of stuff that people had and clothing and, and things and continue to purchase and purchase things was astounding. It was really surprising. And of course, now I'm used to it and, and I have my own share of too many essential oils or what have you. But there's something about the, the world in which we live, especially here in the United States, that really lends itself to, to just accumulating too much stuff. And that's really something to question. In Danish, we have a saying, the, the tyranny of things, how things come to own us, and the amount of time and inner kind of resources we end up spending just sorting through and, and picking stuff up and putting it down somewhere else and organizing it might be something to question. And it might be something to question if you lose something, how devastated are you? How, to what extent can you simply let that go? And knowing that nothing is really ever lost from the higher perspective. So that was the third klesha, raga, attachment. Now we're getting into uh, dvesha. And dvesha is aversion. So you could say it's sort of the opposite side of the same coin, aversion to something. I don't want to do that. I don't want it to be cold outside. I don't want to have to put on my snow pants and, and two pairs of socks to get outside for a walk. I'm, I'm incapable of practicing another yogic principle, um, contentment, santosha, and simply patiently put on my snow pants and my two pairs of socks so that I can be physically comfortable when I'm outside in the cold, or whatever that might be, right? It could be um, some kind of task, work that you have to get done that you really don't want to do. I don't want to clean the kitchen before I go to bed. That's an aversion. Well, I often also happen to be attached to waking up to a clean kitchen, so maybe they can work together in that I'm going to get it done. But it's pushing through the resistance sometimes and really being in equanimity with whatever presents itself, whether you have to do something you don't want to do or you don't get to do something you really do want to do. Yeah. Now, the last klesha is, is the big one. It's abhinivesha. And abhinivesha is fear of death, fear of annihilation. And that is so entrenched in the human physiology that it's practically impossible to overcome. I mean, very advanced yogis have been able to consciously exit their bodies at the time of death and not had any attachment to the body. But, but most of us, if we were threatened, even if we have had thoughts along the way of, oh, I don't want to live, it's too hard, you know, I'd be happy just to be part of the other side again. If you were to get to the point where you were drowning or uh, you know didn't have enough oxygen or something, you're in a burning building or something, the survival instincts would kick in and, and your fight and flight and, and your adrenaline would just pound through you and you would very likely be, be able to save yourself 
and, and we've worked very hard to do so, or someone else, right? We've, we've, we've heard of um, little 100-pound moms that could lift you know, a car to get it off of a, a child that these you know, superhuman powers kick in to fight death because we're so attached to our human form and each other in the human form that it's really hard to, um, to exit that and, and, and to be detached from that. I remember hearing a tale of a, when I first got into Tibetan Buddhism in, in the 80s, I remember a tale of, a, of an advanced Buddhist who had somewhere along the way um, noticed a tiger mom with her cubs that were starving because they couldn't find food and, and sacrificed his own body, his flesh, to feed the tigers, that that level of non-attachment to the physical body and that level of attachment, I mean not attachment, uh, compassion for someone else's suffering, uh, that he was willing to give over his body um, to these starving tiger cubs. So those are all things to work with and to start to name. And let that be fun. Let it be interesting, you know, as you, as you move through the world, especially attachment and aversion um, are, are pretty easy to spot. Whenever you're uncomfortable, they're often at play, or asmita, your ego, how often are you deeming yourself less than or more than? And, and how quickly can you sort of pull back a little bit from that perspective and just say, okay, that's my ego constitution, the part of me that believes itself to be separate, that is, is now um, weighing and measuring, you know, it's my worth, someone else's worth, instead of being aligned with the, the truth, which is that inherently, as living beings, our worth is infinite, and we are infinitely entitled to love and safety and care, um, no matter who we are. So work with this, start to name it, and, and, and start to see it. And, and somehow we start to become a little bit more free when we're able to say, okay, there's my ego acting up, oh, there's raga, attachment, or whoo, you know, uh, in traffic somebody cuts us off and we quickly slam on the brakes or something. There's that moment of a binivesha, fear of death, like, and that saved us in that moment. So that can also be a very um, life-preserving measure if, if you think of life as your human life. Okay, have fun with that. Those were the kleshas.